Hey everybody, how's it going? It's a wonderful night. How many of you came here like right from watching on your TV the presidential debate? Anybody came right from watching it? Yeah, I'm jealous of all of you got to, that got to watch it. Um, in fact, uh, you know that's where that's where Rob is tonight. He's actually um, he is he is embedded now in that culture, and he's he gets to interact with a bunch of the presidential candidates, and he's actually. Uh, Michelle and he are hosting a dinner for Ted Cruz tonight, actually, which is a really big deal, right? That's a, yeah, right? I'm not going to tell you where it is, otherwise you, go, you would go and crash it right now. But, um, <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here with you tonight, and I'm really happy. <laughs> so um, turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. Rob, um, you know, this was, this is one of those moments where it got sprung on me last minute. And um, usually in this, Rob will tell you this. So it's not just me. It's every teacher. Every single teacher, Rob will tell you and confirm this, that when they're asked to teach last minute, they'll just, all right, well, you know, what do I got in my database of sermons, right? Like what's worked in the past and what am I going to, you know, present to them now? Um, we recycle sermons sometimes. You know, that's not for lack of effort. That's for, okay, you know, God's already given me an organized word. What am I going to um, tell these people? But as I was doing that very thing just like an hour ago, um, God, God pressed upon my heart. He's like, you know, I, I've shown you a lot in the past uh, couple months, and I want you to share that. Um, and so I'm just going to be preaching from my journal, honestly. So what, what God's been showing me um, in my own personal life. Right? And so um, in Genesis chapter 32 is where we're going to be in verse 22. And so once you are there, Genesis chapter 32, verse 22, we're going to be reading 10 verses. And please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. This is... Um, an account of part of Jacob's life. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent them over, um, over what he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break of day. We'll learn that that man is actually Jesus. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip um, was out of joint, and he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called for the name of the, pla- uh, name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over the Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that, um, that shrank, which is on the hip socket. Because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and the muscle had shrank. That shrank. This is God's word. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Amen. Lord, uh, we desire to give you reverence tonight. We desire to give you honor. And Lord, I just pray that as we, as we study this word together, Lord, that you would show us something um, 
outside of ourselves. Lord, that you would be able to articulate truths to us, Lord, that, um, that we deeply need, that we'd be unified with your heart tonight. And in the learning of your word, we would learn how to worship you greater, which is the, the, the very desire of our lives. And so, Father, anoint this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat, guys. And so, for those of you that may not know who Jacob is, or for those of you that do know, I'm just going to tell you anyways. <laughs> Jacob um, is one of what we, what we know as the patriarchs. Um, and it all started with Abraham. Abraham is who is known as the father of faith. And it was by Abraham who God promised, out of your seed will become a great nation. And out of, out of Abraham's seed was said to be, the, out of his lineage would be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Jacob would beget Isaac. And Isaac would beget two sons, twins, Esau and Jacob. Now Esau was the older brother, and Jacob was the younger twin. Esau was a very manly, very uh, rugged man, and Jacob was a not-so-much right kind of man. He was always like, hey, why can't you be like your brother? That type of guy, right? You know, Jacob was the manly, hairy, you know, just deep-voiced, deep-chested man, right? He would go and he would get his own meat to hunt, right? He would get his own meat to eat. And then Jacob was the guy who kind of set the tables, make all the doilies, you know, um, knit with his mom. That was Jacob, okay? That was Jacob. And we'll actually see that later on, him knitting, right? And, and so that, that, was, that was Jacob and Esau. Now, now Jacob, he, he, he leads his family into a secure place because he's, he's, he's on the run from his brother Esau at this moment. And that was because years prior, Esau, as the firstborn son, had all of the blessings from his father. He, he was the one who was to get all the inheritance when his father Isaac passed away. Now, now Jacob, being a mama's boy, right, um, conspired with his mom to steal Esau's, not only his blessing, but his birthright. And so Jacob, who is who's known the name Jacob is actually heel grabber right? It's actually heel grabber. And actually the direct translation that I, that I, um, that I actually looked up is supplanter, which means overthrower. Jacob, Jacob in his, in his very name is the name. I desire what is not mine. Okay. That is, that is the very essence of who Jacob is. He desires what isn't his. And he conspires with his mother to trick not only Esau into giving him his birthright, but also um, tricking Isaac into giving him all his blessings. We would see later on that, that Esau would come from a, a great hunt. And he was so incredibly tired and he was so hungry that he said, give me something to eat or I, should, or I will surely die. And Jacob said, I'll only make you some food if you give me your birthright. And Esau really not wanting the birthright in the first place, not really wanting what the firstborn son kind of, you know, at that time, he really didn't care. Esau lived kind of this life of doing his own thing, going his own way, not really caring about God or his blessings. Jacob, on the other hand, really did care about getting the blessings, getting the birthright. He really did care now, he went about it the wrong way. I think we could all agree. He stole from his brother. He lied to his father. But, but, but he wanted God's blessings. He wanted God's blessings. And so once, once Jacob tricked Esau into getting his birthright, 
he tricked then his father, who was old and decrepit and could not see anything. And so what, what, <laughs> what Jacob did is that he dressed himself up. He sewed together a suit for himself out of goat skin to be hairy like his brother. And he made his voice deeper, and he went up to his father at his bedside, and he's like, I'm ready to be blessed by you, father. Right? And so he, was in, and, and so he then stole his brother's birthright. Isaac was going to bless Esau, but ended up blessing Jacob because Jacob had dressed up like his brother and then stolen his birthright. And so now Esau eventually around the corner gets, ends up getting very angry and is now after his life. And Jacob leads his family into a secure and safe place. Then he is left alone and he, he goes up at this point to go pray to God. And here's, here's the thing about Esau's, you know, I, I mean about Jacob's life. Here's the thing about Jacob's life. Is that after he had stolen Esau's birthright and taken Isaac's blessings, he actually went further on with his, his trickery. He ended up working many years for his wife, Rachel. And then he was, ended up tricked into getting uh, Rachel's sister, Leah, who he described as kind of a, not the best looking woman. Right. What what ended up happening is that Jacob, he was ready. He had worked seven years to you know to work for this for his bride, and then finally the wedding day comes, and 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 something happens where he just you know he's like, oh, I'm so excited, I'm so excited. Wedding day's finally, you know, and he gets a little more loopy and a little more intoxicated, and what ends up happening is that he ends up marrying the wrong girl. Big mistake, right? Big mistake. His father said, well, I'm never going to get Leah married. You know, look at her, right? I'm never going to get Leah married. Look at her. So maybe if I can get Jacob drunk enough, I can get him to marry Leah instead of Rachel. And that's what ended up happening. And so then he worked many more years to then get his second wife, Rachel. And so now he's here with, with two wives and many, many children after that. Now his, his father-in-law, who he ended up working for for many years after, his name was Laban. And Laban was an interesting man where he really valued Jacob as a hard worker and as someone who was, uh, he was a real go-getter and he expanded Laban's business. And so when it, when it finally came time for Jacob to say, I want to get out of here, right? I want to take my family and I want to go, Laban wouldn't let him. And so Jacob actually stole a bunch of Laban's livestock and, and left and tricked him. This is Jacob's life, right? This is Jacob's life. And he's up here running from his brother because his brother has finally caught up to him. And his life has been full of getting what he wanted because he could either trick people, outwit them, or he can outtalk them. He can talk his way through anything. And then he finally gets here with, with God. He gets up here and he sees this man and he starts wrestling with him and we see the purpose later on. It's because he knows that this is God incarnate. He knows that this man here is God and has the ability to bless him. Jacob, being the heel grabber that he is, <laughs> says, I'm going to get this man to bless me. Because I got my brother after me. I got my father-in-law. I got everybody after me right now. I need this blessing. And so he wrestles with God from dusk until dawn. Jacob knows this is God. He desires blessing. 
And here, here's, here's the big point, guys, that I want you to take away from this one particular passage. Why, why wouldn't Jacob just talk to him? Why wouldn't Jacob just talk to Jesus? Try to talk to him, get his blessings like he did Esau, like he did his father. Why wouldn't he try to use his cunning tongue? Why wouldn't he, he try to reason with him? Or why wouldn't he find some way, try to find some way to trick him? Or why wouldn't he just have a, a, a civil discussion on, hey, listen, I know who you are. You know that I know who you are. Bless me, please. And these are the reasons why. Why didn't Jacob do that? And it is because for the sole reason, guys, that, that God has been ministering to me for so long is that with God, you must wrestle. With God, you must wrestle. Words, plans, possessions, work ethic, cleverness won't work here. I, I, I spend much of my life trying to get by by my own skills, by my own cleverness, by my own education, by my own experience, by my own logic. And when that doesn't work, I'll try to manipulate my words to get people to like me, to get people to, to push me forward. I'll use the tools at my disposal to get people to like me, to get people to bless me, to get ahead in school, to get ahead in work, to get ahead in relationships. I use what is around me. We are human. We are innovators by nature. We are those who see the world around us and use the tools that are at our disposal to accomplish what we need at the moment. Jacob was always that type of person. He was always the type of person at his disposal. He had all of these things. He's like, I don't got much. I was the second born. My father's not going to give me anything in life. I got to get ahead. I have to get ahead. Listen, I, you know, I keep getting short, uh, shortchanged by my father-in-law. I, I got to take matter into my own hands. I got, I got to get this done. But when it came to needing a blessing from God, Jacob knew that he must wrestle. No words, no cleverness would get him anything. He had to wrestle with God. He had to fight physically, fight and endeavor with God. And when Christ and Jacob wrestle for hours and hours and hours, hours pass. It says that, that, that they wrestled for so long that it was, it was daybreak by the time he was done. So all night long they were wrestling. Jacob's an old man at this point. Fighting God, <laughs> right? Like fighting, G like, you know what I mean? Like this, this, this was never an even fight. But Jacob endeavors all night long, wrestling here with God. And then finally, and then I, I, I love it, he said to him right here, he said, let me go for the day breaks. Jesus is like, let me go. Why don't you give up? Why don't you just let me go? Give it a rest. You know you're not going to beat me. And he says right here, he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And that was after the fact that when, when they were wrestling all night long, Jesus is finally, do you know what? Pops his hip right out of its socket. 
How many of you guys have had a dislocated shoulder or socket? Have, have any of you experienced that type of pain, right? It, it's very painful. It immobilizes you, so you're not able to use the actual muscles, right? So, so you are helpless here. So he has just, un, he has just dislocated his entire hip. And so now at this point, Jacob is just holding on to him with his arms. He can't use his legs anymore. He's immobilized. He can't use his legs. He's just holding on to this man. And he's like, let me go. I just popped your hip. What are you doing? Let me go. Aren't you done yet? Jacob says, I I will not let you go until you bless me. Listen, we need to realize when, when we're wrestling with God, and, and we're going to get into this a little bit more, but, God, but God's been doing something in my heart, realizing that, man, I, man I, I can talk my way through anything, but I can't, I can't talk my way out of God. I can't trick God into any, giving me shortcuts. I can't trick God into giving me blessings. There's no like four-step process in order to get blessings from God. I have to wrestle with him. And in the midst of wrestling and endeavoring and seeking God in a way where all we are so immobilized and humbled and all we can do is latch on to him, we realize that when we are, we are humbled always, when you're wrestling with God, when you're endeavoring with God, when you're seeking God truly in the hard times, when you're seeking him in, in, in the messiness, when you're wrestling with him, We are humbled by his power, but we never get discouraged by it. There's something very interesting that when you're humbled by God, it's almost empowering. When you are opening your life up to, for God to uh, discipline you and humble you in life, when you seek him and when you want blessings, sometimes what comes along with that is God's discipline, him sending trials your way. So, so we're always screaming for blessings and we're trying to work our way through blessings. We're trying to climb the ladder in our businesses or in our church or in our relationships. We're always trying to climb something, trying to find the shortest avenue to blessings. But when it comes to God, his process is a lot more different. He's going to make us wrestle with him, endeavor with him. And in the midst of all of that, hard work isn't enough. He's going to immobilize us. He's going to humble us. And when you're humbled by God's power, it never leads you to discouragement. Rather, it leaves you to latch on to him even more. Humbled by God's power, but never discouraged by it. We cling to him. And this is where Job's famous verse comes in. Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. There's something encouraging about God's correction in our lives. There's something incredibly encouraging about the rebuke and the discipline and the power of God coming upon us in a way where we are totally helpless without him. Jacob is not marked by his faith like Abraham. You notice that? Abraham is known as the father of faith, right? The father of faith. Daniel and Solomon, they're known for their wisdom, for their uprightness. Daniel's known for his uprightness. Solomon's known for his wisdom. David is known for his leadership. He's not 
Jacob's life isn't marked by any of these. In fact, his life is just full of tricking people and deceiving people. And his family is super dysfunctional as well. Later on, we see that his 11 sons try to murder or, you know, his, his younger son and then just send him into slavery. That's how we get Joseph, Joseph's story. So we see that Jacob isn't even marked by his awesome family or his fathering skills or his skills as a husband. He's not marked by any of these things. He doesn't have much wisdom. He doesn't have much charisma or leadership. He's just kind of always going from one sticky situation to another. Some of you might be able to relate to this. It seems like every, every part of your life is just putting out fires, right? Fires that you mostly set for yourself. Jacob's not marked by any of these things. But do you know what he is marked by? And what I, what I do see in Jacob's life. And, and to be honest with you, the, I, I took an entire summer to go through Jacob's life. Because I relate to him most. Out of any character in the Bible, I relate to Jacob. You know, people always ask me, you know, people always tell me like, oh, you know, when, when did you decide that you want to be a pastor? And I said, when I, when I realized that I'm not good at anything else. <laughs> I, I, I can't be like a lawyer. You know, I can't be a doctor. Like, I'm not good at any of that stuff, right? I'm not good at business. I, you know, God's just given me like two things, <laughs> right? And, and, and so Jacob, he's, he's not known by all of these amazing things in his life. He's, he's only known by one thing. And what I see most in Jacob's life that I admire and that I want for myself, it is that though he lives this life of always kind of screwing up, his entire life is marked by wanting God's blessings. Notice this. With Esau, he knew that his brother didn't want the blessings of God. He didn't want the birthright. He didn't desire God at all. Jacob did. And he knew that there was no other way that he can get it. So he's like, do you know what? I I want God's blessing. You obviously don't want it. I'm going to take it for myself. He knew that Esau wasn't going to do well with his birthright and that Esau really didn't want the birthright in the first place. He later on wanted it, but at that time he really didn't care. And and, and so Jacob said, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take God's blessings. I'm going to lay hold of these things. Jacob's life isn't, isn't really marked by any sort of merit. And I, and I want to make this super clear. I am not, I'm not condoning unholiness. I'm not condoning sin and deceiving people and tricking people. But what I am trying to say, and what we should learn from Jacob's life, is that a desire for God trumps deeds for God. We are human beings, not human doings. Some of us think that our entire lives for God are, are marked by the, the things that we do or the things that we abstain from doing. The acts that we do should stem from wanting more of God. Not from this, from this, this, this traditional, I am a Christian, I ought to be holy, I ought to be pious, I ought to be separated from the world. Not this lineage of just, you know, doing things because your parents told you not to do them. And then you're going to tell your kids not to do them because that's what we do. Life isn't full of the do's and do nots. Do you desire God? This may be why Jacob's behavior was permissible before God. Because here's the thing. Is lying bad? 
Absolutely. Is that a sin? Absolutely. Is deceiving your father and your brother, is that a sin? Absolutely. Would God ever encourage that in anyone's life? Absolutely not. But God found Jacob's life approvable and permissible because he saw in Jacob a desire for him. Since the beginning, Jacob wanted to be a part of God's covenant. He wanted to be a part of God's life. Now, he had tactics that he could have been guided in better, but he had no, he had no one to tell him. He just knew that, I, I want God's blessings. I, I, want, I want God's life. I, I want him. Those around me don't, so I'm going to take it. Blessings abound in those who desire he who blesses. Blessings abound in those who desire the one who blesses. They don't abound in the people that work as hard as they can to be the most holy that they can. They abound in those that are truly seeking God and are wrestling with him. A life with God as broken creatures who rebel is a life full of getting our hips broken. Clinging on to God as much as we can and him continually humbling us because we're imperfect. God must remain powerful though. That's the thing. And, and, and I, I love it in here. He says, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, which means heel grabber, right? It means one who desires to overthrow, one who desires what isn't his. One who's always trying to get ahead, always wanting, you know, and, and I'm not saying desire what isn't his I, in, in the sense that he's trying to steal things. I'm saying desiring what, he, what people don't think he deserves. And he's just always going for it. He's always wanting it. He's always trying to extend his own name. And this is what Jesus says. I want you all to look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. And he said to him, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. The name Jacob means supplanter, as I said, overthrower. A name fitting for Jacob, who just is always taking what he wants. But, but the name God gives him is Israel. And Israel means God prevails. Jacob cannot get past God. Jacob may have been able to outsmart his brother. He may have been able to outsmart his father, his father-in-law. He may have been able to prevail against all of these people in his exploits. You may have been able to be super successful as a businessman in your family. You may be the most successful person you know. You may be the, only, you know, the first one to get a degree in your family. You may be all of these things that you have desired and set before yourself. But the reality is is that God prevails. And if it takes him breaking our hips to finally understand that, that's what's going to happen. God prevails. God must remain powerful. And I love that even when, when, when Jacob's hip is completely shattered and it's dislocated, he still clings despite the pain. Because he knows that this man is the source of life. The source of his blessing. What he's been searching for all along. 
Those who cling despite the pain will be called his people, Israel. Those who cling to God, those who latch on to him, those are going to be the people that God at the end of the day says, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. Not the people who have lived this most affluent life of complete successes for the kingdom of God. All these, every exploit that they, that they decided to undergo just succeeded. Everything that they set their minds to just happened. You ever meet those people? They're just blessed, like never fail, it seems like. And we get discouraged because we can only see their success, but we can never see all the failures that preceded it. Those who cling despite the pain will be called his people and chosen to bear his name. Israel, God prevails. And here's, here's, here's what I, here's the gripping thing that, that God had put in me. Because today was, today was, it was, it was one of those days of ministry where you're just like, <clears throat> where you deal with the most difficult people. And the most difficult people are typically other ministry leaders. <laughs> the difficult people aren't the people in the world. They're never the people in the world. Actually, the people in the world are way nicer to me than the people in the church. It's true. And, and, and the thing, like, it was just one of those days of just suffering. Suffering. There's some victories today, but there's a lot of sorrows today. And this is what's been gripping my heart of just clinging on to Jesus, even though he's continually popping my hip to humble me into submission. Are you going to hang on to me when it's painful? Are you going to still want the blessings when you know it takes enduring some amount of pain? Are you still going to hold on to me? Are you still going to be someone who wants that blessing? Are you still going to be wanting to bear my name when it means you have to suffer? Because the reality of it is, and what has been gripping my heart, is that Christ suffered for all, but not all suffer for Christ. Is that Christ decided to suffer for me and endure the cross for me so that I would not have to endure the pain that sin has at the end in judgment. But then when it comes to dealing with a few difficult people in the morning, am I willing to endure that pain, that small affliction for the sake of this grand scheme of God's kingdom? Am I willing to endure the world and all that it offers? Am I willing to endure the sin of the brothers and sisters around me? Because the fact of the matter is, we, we, we as people, we hurt each other, we betray each other. And it's not always out of maliciousness, it's simply out of the imperfection of people. And that creates, that creates, that, that creates pain. And sometimes the pain is no fault of anybody. There's death that we experience in life. There's losses that we didn't plan for, jobs that we lose. There's standing up for our convictions and being persecuted. There's a, there's, a, there's a kid in our youth group, and uh, he has decided to take up the mantle of a, the largest Christian club at his school. About 120 kids go to this club. The leadership has left completely. All the adults that would oversee it have completely left. And he's here, and he's trying to shepherd these people. He's 17. And he's trying to shepherd 120 kids who would never go to church otherwise. 
And he's, he's, trying to, he's trying to teach them, and he's trying to endure with them, and he's trying to shepherd them. And the nastiness that that kid is enduring right now. The, the pain that he's enduring and, and the whip that other people are giving him right now is incredible. But Christ suffered for him. So he's going to suffer for Christ. If that's what it takes, if I have to cling to Jesus despite this pain, despite the humility, despite having my hip broken, if I have to endure this pain in order to still cling to Jesus and still get his blessings, I will do so. I will do so. And that's what separates the Jacobs from the Israels. See, the Jacobs, they will, they will continue. And they, they, will, they will seek success, and they will seek a name, and they will seek to look holy in front of their peers, and they will seek affluence. But when the going gets tough, they get going. Away. And the Israels are those who wrestle with God, who endure with God, because sometimes the way God operates is not just this easy, fluffy way, you know, just elevating you to the top, right? Because there's kingdoms that we build for ourselves that God needs to shatter down before he could build his own in our lives. And this is something that I, I, I have been having to, to internalize as I've been going through the life of Jacob. Am, am I clinging to Jesus for the sake of just him and him alone? Because Jacob is later on known as someone, he's a, he's a patriarch, he's one of the fathers of faith. He's one of the most well-known uh, people in scripture. And it is by his lineage, it is by his sons that all the 12 tribes of Israel are born. An entire nation birthed out of Jacob's family. He gets to be that guy, but not without hardship, not without struggles. And he was anointed by God. He was anointed by our creator. What does it take to be anointed? I think that's, that's, that's a big question I want to leave with you guys. And I'll explain it now further. Sometimes we, we think that being anointed by God means we stop sinning. That we've reached this, 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 this part in our lives where we have reached this holiness of where we, we're not really sinning anymore, right? That's all for other people. And most of the conversations we have when people confess their sins is, oh, I used to be like that, but now I'm like this, right? Some of us think that to be anointed means that we stop sinning. But those in scripture that are greatest among us and have the greatest anointing were murderers and liars. So it's not that. That's not being anointed by God. Does it mean that we need to serve in the church more, bring more people to Jesus? No, it says in Isaiah 64 that our works are but filthy rags before God. So it doesn't matter if, if you're doing more, you're serving more. That's not being anointed by God. Does it mean that I need to give up all my possessions and live in poverty in, in, in order to be closer to God? No, there's rich and poor that are anointed by God in scriptures. There's kings and peasants. So that's not being anointed. Does it need that I need to read my Bible more, that I need to pray more? No, it says in Psalm 51 that God is not pleased with sacrifices of time or money or offerings of resources just because we think he'll like it. 
So anointing doesn't mean, okay, I got to read my Bible more. I got to pray more. God likes that. Therefore, I'll be anointed and used by him. That's not what anointed means. Does it mean that I need to become a pastor or work at the church? Aren't those the anointed ones? Anyone who works at a church here will tell you that that is false. I can tell you out of experience that just because you work at a church doesn't mean you're anointed by God. Listen, I want you to listen to the words of David in, in Psalm 23, verse 5 and 6. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, every single psalm, I really encourage you guys, if you, if you want to learn what it means to worship God, have intimacy with God, be anointed by God, I really encourage you, go through the psalms. Because you'll see in there that every single psalm is simply a recognition that God is in control. And then a thanksgiving for the work that he's already done and that he's going to do. That is, that is, that is in essence what psalms are. They are God is in complete control. I am not him. And I'm just thankful that he allows me to live. <laughs> and I am thankful for everything around me. And I'm thankful for what he's going to do. Even if life is not what I want it to be right now, I am thankful for what he's going to be in the future. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. You do these things. You, Lord, alone are the source of anointing. You, Lord, alone are the source of, of flourishing. And so I want to let you know that being anointed being chosen, being used by God is not measured by how much you decide that you want to offer up to God or how much you can do in and of yourself. It is measured by how much you decide you want to receive from him. And you're going to measure in your heart whether it's worth it. So, so your anointing, your usefulness towards the kingdom of God, you being someone who is known as a faithful servant of the Lord, that is not going to be measured on your merit, on whether you can build something good for yourself and have something to brag about at the end of the day. At the end of the day, God is not going to say, well done, you made a lot of money, or well done, You're, you know, your kids got to college, good job. You say, well done, good and faithful servant. And the measure by which I, I, I serve the Lord and how much, how much I'm anointed by him is not measured by what I can give, but measured on how much I want to receive from him. How much I'm willing to cling to him in order to say, I will not let go until you bless me. It's not about stepping out into the mission field. It's about stepping into the temple of God's presence and allowing him to use you. In Psalm 16, verse 5 through 6, it says, The Lord is my chosen portion of my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I have a beautiful inheritance. To be anointed by Yahweh, our God, is to inherit. 
It's to inherit blessings. It is not to earn blessings. It is not to seek out blessings. It is to inherit them by what Christ has done for us and how fat and how hold we can how, how hard we can hold on to him. If we can cling on to him. God's favor in the Bible is always described as a full cup. It says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. God's blessings all throughout scripture, God's blessings are described as, here's my cup. Here, here is the cup that I hold as a human being, as an image bearer of God. I am but an empty cup, an empty vessel. And any time in scripture where it's described as, as God's, it's always described as God's blessings pouring forth. And so it's a matter of God, fill my cup. Fill my cup. Jesus says, if you drink from me, you will never thirst again. He will continue to pour into you as much as you want, as much as you desire. And so the question here is, are our lives marked with holding on to Jesus and asking him to fill us? Or are our lives filled of making plans and telling God how he might be able to bless you? No, I'm so guilty of this. I'm so guilty of making these plans or making these parameters by which God can work in my life. Because here, if, if I do that, guys, if I, am, if I am making a plan, and if I am facilitating this, this lifestyle around me in which God is able to operate in my life, I'm not only limiting his power in my life, but I am also setting myself up for disobedience. I'm setting myself, by making a plan for myself and letting God know my steps so that he might bless them, so praying that God would bless something I'm already about to do without even consulting him if I should do it or not, I'm setting myself up to disobey God because if I have made my plan and it's going this way, what if God tells me to go this way? Who am I going to listen to? Me. God doesn't operate in here. Here's your 10-year plan. Here's exactly what I'm going to do in your life for the next 10 years. Here's what's going on. He works step by step. That way, I must cling to him. I must hold on to him. I must be continually in my word and continually in prayer because God works step by step. Because if he told me, if he told me his 10-year plan for my life, I'm just going to try to find a shortcut. So I do with everything, right? Always try to find the loopholes. Always try to find the loopholes. So God works step by step, meaning we must cling to him. Us making a plan in our lives and then asking God to come in and bless our plan, setting yourself up for failure. Because it's dependent on God clinging to you and not you clinging to God. It's not a matter of, God, you're going this way. I'm going to wrap my arms around you with my hip broken. You're just going to drag me along the way. It's not a matter of God guiding me as I latch on to him. I'm asking, God, hey, hold on to me. Let me show you where I'm going. I am the author of my own destiny, right? That, that, is, that is the great sin of man. That I can be God that I will not surely die if I do what I want. That is the great lie we have bought into. 
Am I continually saying with my life, am I continually saying, oh Lord, fill my cup, give me more, give me more of who you are. Are you hungry? Are you asking? The size of your cup is determined by the size of your faith. So are you willing to cling to Jesus even when he breaks your hip? When hard times come? Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7, he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Am I continually, am I continually knocking? Am I continually seeking him? Am I continually seeking his presence? Am I continually seeking his blessings? Because, guys, I, I, I think I've somehow tricked myself into thinking that... I can be as holy as I possibly can and as long as I'm holy and as long as I'm abstaining from the the evil things in this world, God will see me and be like, oh yeah, for sure, man, whatever you want, right? That's like Santa Claus. If I'm good, I'll get what I want. But Jesus is saying, listen, listen, you build these things for yourself, but they are nowhere near as good as what I have for you. You're asking me to bless you in this manner. But you're asking me to bless you apart from who I am. So why don't you just come over here to me and why don't you just cling to me and you'll see the greater things that I have in store. And so when I pray, it's so often, Lord, give me strength for the things that I'm already planning on doing today. Already forgive me in advance because I'm going to make this specific sin. Our lives ought to be marked more of just saying, Lord, you and me, mano y mano. I have my desires. You have your desires. Let's wrestle. And you go in your prayer closet, and that's what it is. It's wrestling with God. You say you know what's best for me. I'm not going to listen to you. Break my hip. I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to wrestle with you. Break my will. And that's what God's been continually doing to me lately. Breaking my will. Learning how to take correction and rebuke. Learning how to talk to people without these preconceived, this, this preconceived sense of, of betterness, I would say. God's been humbling me. And the degree of which we are blessed, guys, is to the degree of which we say, Lord, it's time to wrestle. It's time for me to show you that only you, uh, it's time for you to show me that only you can prevail. And so be honest with God in the things that you desire and the things that you know you desire that aren't of God. And not only ask him to change your desires, but ask him to break your hip. Ask him to break your hip. And listen, when you pray that prayer, be careful because God's going to answer it. But man, you're going to have so much more blessing in your life. Because it's going to be dependent on what God wants to do in your life and not what you want God to do in your life. We don't know better. I don't know better. And so we need to live this type of life. Amen? And so we are going to 
we're going to worship one last song. We're going to spend one last song. And man, we're just going to accept what God has for us. Amen? Open arms saying, do you know what? Let's wrestle, right? Let's do it. So Lord, we, uh, we just uh, pray that you would anoint us, Lord. And we know that anointing is not dependent on some sort of holiness that we can muster up in our own plans, in our own lives, but holiness is, and uh, being anointed is marked by how tightly we cling to you. So Lord, as we read your word, as we pray with you, as we look at our own desires and our own lives, what we built up for ourselves, break our hips where it's necessary, humble us where it's necessary that so we can see that only you prevail. It's important to note that when Jacob was hobbling down with his hip broken, he finally went to go confront his brother, Esau, and he greeted him with a hug and a kiss. Jacob learned how to humble himself before you. Help me do the same thing. I have so many plans and ambitions. Break my hip, Lord. Break my hip. I want my life not to be marked by how ambitious I am, how many plans I have, how talented I am. I want my life to be marked by, I'm just going to allow God to kick my butt. And I'm going to be used by him in any way that he desires. No matter how big or how small that may be. So Lord, work that all in all of our hearts, Lord. As we go to our businesses, as we go to our families, as we go to our schools, humble us. And may your plan be evident. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.